we're glad you're here this morning. Um, we are in week two of a series we're entitling You've Heard It Said, and we're looking at the words of Christ. Um, the reason for this series is we looked at the idea of saying, man, how do we look at our culture and actually look at how do we become citizens of the kingdom of Christ, and how does he at, want us to react and respond when we look at things in our culture? Um, and just so, just I feel like I need to say this up front, just as, as a result of the announcements, there is nothing wrong, okay? <laughs> we had like safety security, like mama's defense course. I'm like, everything's fine. We're not, you know, preparing for Armageddon here. So it's, it's okay, okay? So I just wanted to put that out there. I was listening to that. I'm like, that just sounds like there's something. Anyway, there's nothing behind the scenes. We're all good, okay? We just thought ladies would like to beat people up. So um, that would be fantastic. So um, just <laughs> you're aware of that. Uh, but we are in a series, like I said, on this idea of you've heard it said. And um, I want to share two stories with you. Um, both are true. One involves myself. The other one is straight out of scripture. But story number one was back in 19, I don't even know, 80 something, 90, 80 something. It was 80 something. And uh, I don't know if you remember, does anybody remember the Ames stores back in the day? It's like an old school, right? Yeah. Okay. So a couple of you guys are like old enough to say, yeah, Ames was like a, um, how do I describe Ames? It was kind of like the Walmart of its day. Like it kind of had just about everything that you wanted there and uh, you could pick up different things. Well, I was probably in fourth or fifth grade and I did not clear this story with anybody in my family um, or mom and dad. So I apologize if you're watching online. This may be the first time you're hearing of this. But <clears throat> I, uh, I, went into the <laughs> I went into the store and uh, I, I had always wanted like a certain G.I. Joe figure and it wasn't probably your normal one. But um, Storm Shadow, who is this guy here, if you don't know anything about G.I. Joe, this was Cobra's version of Snake Eyes, and he was amazing. You guys are like, you've already lost me, Cobra, Snake Eyes, but stick with me. This guy was amazing, and I really wanted one, and I've had all my friends had all the best action figures, and so I was walking to the store, and I thought, you know what, I just really, really want this. And I didn't have any money to pay for it, and so I said, you know what? how hard would it be to take one of these guys out of the store? So I, uh, I made sure nothing was around. There weren't as many cameras back then, so you could kind of get away with this stuff. And I had that moment right before I took the box from the shelf because I knew exactly what I was doing. But there was that terror moment of, like, taking it. And so I took it, and I put it in my coat, and I put it underneath my coat, and I just stood there for a second, made sure the coast was clear and nobody was around. And that was a second most terrifying part of the experience because now you have it in your coat, okay? That, that's, that's a dead giveaway that you're not going to pay for this thing, okay? So as I make my way to the front counter, I look at the cashier. Like, you don't do this either. You, I make eye contact with the cashier like this. I mean, you don't do that if you're going to try and get away with something, but I did, and I was like, please don't, please don't, and I made it out of the store, and sure enough, I stole Storm Shadow. And I took Storm Shadow home, and I was so excited because I had pulled off my first theft, and I was thinking this is probably going to go on my record somehow, but that didn't bother me because I had the action figure that I wanted, and nobody could take it from me, and I ended up playing with that thing for a good, solid two weeks. And then something happened around the two-week mark where I instantaneously just felt this horrible, horrible feeling inside myself. And every time I looked at Storm Shadow, I thought, it's not mine. It, it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. I, I, I stole it. it it's, it. I didn't pay for it. It's not mine. So what I did, 
true story is I took Storm Shadow and I took him out in the driveway and I buried him. And I said, maybe that'll get rid of some of the guilt. I'll just bury it and I'll walk away. Sure enough, wouldn't you know it, like at night, I could hear him crying from the driveway. You stole me, right? I mean, from the grave, Storm Shadow was calling my name. So what I did the next day is I dug him back up and I had a bunch of firecrackers and I loaded him up and I blew him up. And he just went pieces everywhere, and I buried it again, and I'm like, dead. He's gone. He's dead. There's no longer any storm shadow in my life. And and during that scenario, I had all those crazy moments, right? And he was gone. And so you're like, so why do you have this guy, right? So years later, as a grown adult, (laughs) I I went to the store, and I stole— No, I paid for this. (laughs) I paid for this with my grown money— they looked at me like, what are you doing? But I, I paid for this, and it sits on my desk, and it actually doesn't just sit on my desk. It rolls around all over the place. Dwayne can attest that he makes his way throughout the, the sanctuary, throughout the church building. He made his way through many offices. So that the thing with our office uh, people that clean it is basically he moves every time they clean. And so it's a game that we have to find every single time. So in case inside, inside information, he's always hiding somewhere in the church building, and... Uh, I have to go find him, and one time it took me two months, not proud to say that, but um, (laughs) Storm Shadow reminded me of this moment where I had so much guilt because I had taken something from what wasn't mine. The curiosity of doing it was amazing. The rush of of not getting caught, the, the joy of having it, the difficulty in trying to hide it when I was home, the guilt of being caught or the guilt of it being found somewhere once it was home. And eventually what had to happen, what had to happen in this scenario was it had to be destroyed. I had to get rid of it. And I ended up hating this thing more than I ended up loving this thing. Story number two. Imagine this scenario. It's a warm day in western Israel. You've heard about a new rabbi or a teacher who is new to the scene of teaching. And he is new on the scene as a rabbi, but there are many rabbis around You've been taught that your goal was to one day, as a male, find a teacher of the Torah and follow him, and he becomes your rabbi. You watch what your rabbi does. You leave everything behind of your family to follow your your rabbi, and those within your family are excited to see you go and follow this man of faith. Watch what he does, learn from him, do exactly what he does. And this rabbi or teacher would have more than likely have been approved by your local Sanhedrin or court of Jewish officials who knew and memorized and studied the Old Testament. You were searching for one, hoping to be picked, and you hear of this new one called Jesus from some unknown and uneducated area by the, by the name of Nazareth. And so you hear he's up on this mountainside, and so you go to this mountainside to hear what this new rabbi in town has to say. You go to hear what he has to say, and as you arrive, you see that there are hundreds gathered around this mountainside to hear him. And on the sidelines, as you arrive, you see on the, on the fringes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees all lining up, and they all have the same face, like this. You're they're not happy. They're not really excited about this new rabbi, which makes you pretty excited to hear this new rabbi, because you're like, if they don't like him, this guy could be pretty good. Then Jesus begins by saying, Blessed are those who do do the sort of things you wish that you did. He says, blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those uh, who who follow in the way of faith. And he says, all these things are part of the things you wish you did. And so you're like, man, this guy has something to say. And then Jesus continues and he says, blessed are those that bring peace and the things that brought contentment. And you, you wait to hear more. And you wonder how this is all going to be. And then 
Later, the same rabbi says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. To which there had to be a sideways glance to the, to the Pharisees and Sadducees in the mountainside. Whoever teaches these guys not to do this is going to be held accountable. Sideways glance. Therefore, whoever relaxes on the least of these commandments and teaches them to do this, they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. To which the Pharisees and the Sadducees are on the sidelines saying, Amen. Exactly. We are the ones that need to be treated with respect because we don't miss a, a law. We are perfect. We are holy. We do everything correctly. And then he says, Jesus says something that you on the scene think is very interesting. And he says this in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you reach the level of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, don't even give heaven a, a glance. Don't even think it, it's going to happen. It's not going to be there for you. To which the Pharisees and the Sadducees had to be like, absolutely. Absolutely. Unless you guys really get to be who we are, unless you understand how awesome we are and the perfection that we have, you aren't going to make it. Now, this wouldn't have been new. This wouldn't have been eye-opening. This would have been very normal for the people of their day because they knew the Pharisees and the Sadducees were of high degree and they were to be respected because all they did. What changes are what we saw last week and what we'll see this week and what Jesus continues to say. And here we pick up in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. If you have your Bibles, you can look here with me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. He says this, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. For if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. To which you're like, maybe I need a new rabbi. Because this is intense. This is very specific. And he says, if the Pharisees can, can, can go to the law of no adultery, Jesus is taking it to a whole other level to which you or I probably at the base of that mountain would think, well, it was at least a good presentation right? At least, at least he, he made his point. Because the Pharisees look ticked off, that's probably good. The crowds look confused, that's kind of interesting. And you leave hoping that no one knows that your most recent thoughts were about those things, and their most recent actions should be, according to this guy, to tear out some eyes and lob off some hands and some feet. It's a crazy thing. Because as I walk away from that mountainside, here's my thought. Jesus, that's impossible. That's impossible. You're telling me that I can't even have a lustful thought? That's crazy. That's impossible. There's no way. You are really out of touch with where we are in a society, Jesus. That can't happen. And as we saw last week, we will see again this week, that what Jesus asks us to do in this way of you've heard it said is truly impossible. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to unpack this idea of lust. I'm going to give a couple definitions of what I think he's talking about here. And I think what we all kind of know, this isn't going to be like rocket science. You're going to be like, oh, I didn't know that. You're hopefully going to know a lot of what I'm going to share today. 
But what I want to do is give you less head knowledge and more practical knowledge at the tail end of this because I want to spend most of the time giving you some actual ways that I find are helpful in this idea of lust. Because here's the reality. We all have it. We're all in this. We all have a propensity to take what is not ours in our minds and, and, and enter into relationships in inappropriate ways in our hearts and in our minds. If we don't do so physically, we do so mentally. And Jesus is saying that even the mental is something that is worthy of hell, which is a crazy thought. But it's true. So let's just go into this real quick this morning. Let's talk about what lust is. This morning we hit, uh, in this two-part series, you've heard it said lust. And, and this is the, the idea that we, we come into here within the definition of lust. Lust is taking a perfectly good thing that God has created, namely sexual desire, and abstracting it or stripping it from an honor toward a person and stripping it from a supreme regard for God's holiness. We take, we take the honor away from the person, we take the holiness away from God, and we take God away, and you take the honor away, and what you have left is just sexual desire. What you have left is just lust, is one definition. Let me give you another one. It is the natural, it is a natural and holy desire of sexual desire practiced outside of the bounds that it was intended to. A good desire that turns sinful when it is directed at the wrong, on the wrong person, namely not your spouse. It is a desire that is out of bounds of the purifying work of Jesus. And, and none of that should be eye-opening. You're like, yes, okay, we got that. We've heard that before. That is true. And here's some other things you probably know when it comes to lust. And that is this, that lust lies to you all the time. It just does. It's no big deal. It's not a really big thing. And there's a ton of lies that can be believed in this. And, and I won't get into all the details for the sake of time and, and the, the audience this morning. But it also it not only lies in general terms, lust lies so that we start to believe some of those lies. And here are some of the things it says that we tend to believe. Number one, no one will get hurt. It's not a big deal. No one's going to get hurt in this. It's just me. It's just my mind and I can handle it. It's not a big deal, right? It's fine. Proverbs chapter 6, 27 to 29 says this. This is one of the most um, clear answers to that lie. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Just as fire in the lap is burning, he says, you can't just think this is no big deal. It's not a no one will get hurt. Somebody always, always gets hurt in this. Number, number one line is no one will get hurt because it does. It not only hurts others, it hurts yourself. It wrecks your brain. Proverbs chapter 4, 23, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. All of that we have comes from our heart, our mind, our soul, and all of that is the spring of life. And if it gets tainted, if the springs of water get tainted, then it's hard to get them clean. One of the um, major studies that has come out in regard to lust and even pornography says one must first recognize that there are physical, neurological, emotional, chemical, and spiritual elements to the addictive process. And this isn't just lust concern. This is talking about a lot of different addictions that happen in our world. But he says the difficulty of dealing with sexual addiction is that it taps into three major areas problematic in addiction. For example, in most addictions, an arousal-prone person will draw, be drawn to stimulants. A fantasy-prone person will likely prefer hallucinogens. 
A relaxation-prone person prefers opiates, barbiturates, and depressants such as alcohol. The alarming discovery we made was that pornography uniquely taps into all three of those dimensions. And because pornography taps into all three areas of addiction, one can move quickly in a matter of days from curiosity stage to addictive stage. This was in uh, Broken Windows of the Soul, a, a uh, Dr. Demon Arnold R. Um, gives us these, these, these scenarios. But it isn't amazing how something of lust has such an ability to stick with you. Not only does it have the ability of drugs, it also has the ability of old school Rolodex where you can pull up images at a moment's notice because of something that's been stored from years back. And lust has that ability to pull those images up at a moment's notice. So it's no wonder that Jesus says, because if you think of a woman lustfully, you are committing adultery. It's no wonder he knew the psychology of the brain, how it works, and how this gets us into really terrible spots. Again, we know this. This is not new. The other thing that, it, that lust lies and tells us is not only that no one will get hurt, it's the thing I've said already, and it's this, I got this. I got it. It's under control it's not a problem, I got this, which is also a lie. And the third one that I tended to believe early in my, in my life, and I, I, I still kind of had this belief even in ministry, that, that the lie that I believed was this is just my thorn in the flesh. You know how, how Paul has that thorn in the flesh and we don't really know what it was? This is kind of mine. And I don't know if you've heard that before, but let me kind of push it that a little bit. And I say, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I don't think it was sin. I don't know that it was this kind of an issue. I don't think we can excuse it and say, it's just my thing I deal with. I don't think that we have that ability. Because sin is sin, and God is always about wanting to clear out the sin in our life. And see, the other thing with lust that is so like the first story is this, that lust, much like the stealing of storm shadow, takes away the true value of the person. This thing had no value to me because I didn't have to pay for it. I didn't earn it. It was just something I took and I was able to just discard it as easily because it had no value. The other thing it does, lust, and you know this, this is nothing new. It ends us, it leaves us feeling dirty. We, we don't really like it. We don't really know what to do with it. We, it's kind of this uneasy feeling, and we wish, like Storm Shadow, we could just bury it or blow it up and walk away from it. We don't want to even talk about it in church, for crying out loud. On the 4th of July, Joel, thank you so much for this this morning, right? It's, it's, it's the thing we don't want to bring up, but Jesus reminds us that this is part of being a believer in Christ. Lust has that feeling of a rush. Lust played out wants you to actually, at the end, just blow it up and bury it, as we said before. We see this because of everything that we see in culture around us. This idea of burying it and blowing it up. How many school principals are trying to figure out how to deal with girls texting inappropriate images and words to boys today? It's happening all the time. And they're trying to figure out how do we deal with this? How do we bury it? How do we get rid of it? The regret of Instagram pictures that guys and ladies have shared or gotten taken and posted on social media that wasn't supposed to get posted, but now it's out there. Now all this guilt and this shame is there because of this. And, and how do we deal with that? That work colleague that keeps flirting and it feels good, and I didn't, shouldn't think that it feels good, but it does. And what do we do with that? And add on top of that, COVID has made it all worse and the fact that we were stuck on our computers and devices for a year and a half. And if you think that doesn't change your brain, you're wrong. 
It does. And we have yet to see the full ramifications of being on our screens for a year and a half. We've already seen some of it in suicides and depressions going way up. We've already seen it in schools and and problems that are happening with middle schoolers and high schoolers that are so depressed they can't take another breath. That's, That's crazy. And it's because isolation will ultimately kill us. One pastor friend of mine said this, under great stress, we revert to how we learned to survive in the past. And I think that's so true even when it comes to lust. When, when, when we're under great stress, we just simply go back to what fixed it in the past. And it's probably, maybe it may be for you, just that mental rush that fixed it in the past. And lastly, you know this. It's the same with, thankfully it wasn't for me, but it's, it, it could be this for many people with stealing or whatever. But you know this, sexual sins will easily take us further than we ever wanted to go. You will ultimately get to a point, following lust long enough, where you're going to wake up one day and you're like, how did I get here? You're going to ask that question. It just happens. It's part of the deal. So if that's what it is, and it seems so hopeless, and Jesus is, is putting this huge perfection in front of us, what do we do with it? Because I don't believe it's enough just to feel guilty. I don't think it's enough just to have shame and guilt. I don't even believe that shame may be a, a really helpful scenario when it comes to lust because of how twisted that gets. So let me offer some things as far as suggestions for those in the room that you're like, this is my area, Joel. This is my struggle. If, if, if there was anything he's getting at in all of his Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, if there's anything he's getting at, this is mine. And if this is you in the room, and if you have this, men and ladies alike, this is hopefully an area where I can help and, and give some growth points in this. To grow through lust, my goal is to create hope here and not more shame and guilt. And so I have some categories, and I want us to see them for what they are. Incremental growth. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time actually in Colossians chapter 3. As Matthew gives us the definition, Colossians, I believe, gives us the way out. I believe Colossians helps us to understand this a little more and to actually dive into this and say, how do we actually grow through this, this sin that just keeps dogging me day in and day out. How do I deal with it? And what do I do to get around it? Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And as we think of this, I want us to think as a church in, in the realm that we always tend to when it comes to discipleship. So if you're new here, or if you've not been here um, maybe very long, um, you haven't started maybe at the very beginning, a couple of things. We, we early on adopted this wheel, if you could throw that up, Justin. And we said that anybody in discipleship or anybody who's growing and closer to be closer to Jesus, you can't read that, I'm sure, so I'm going to read these out. It's really small. But we've said anybody that's growing in Christ is going to grow through these phases when it comes to Christ. And we said that first off, we, we, we share the gospel and somebody accepts Christ and they're born again. And at that moment, they turn their whole life over to Jesus. And then, as Paul tells us in the New Testament, that we all grow through maturity and we grow through the life cycle of, of being a human being, pretty much. And he basically says when we're real young... And they call it kind of an infant phase. It's kind of a brand new believer, and I'm, I'm kind of new to the faith. And what do I need as a new believer? So as a new believer, we need somebody to share their life with us as a new believer. 
this is a new thing for me. I've never done this thing before. I need somebody to share a new truth with me as a new believer because there's a lot of things that I don't really know that I believe that I've held on to from my old world that I'm taking into this new world. I need somebody to share with me new habits because all these things that I've been doing before, I can't do anymore. And how do I grow through this wheel? So that's the first phase. And we're going to talk about lust in these phases as well. The second one is this idea of I grow through the infant stage and I kind of grow into a child phase. And at this point, I start to connect. I need connected to God. Because what happens after we come out of an infant phase, and you know this from your kids growing up and you growing up as well, infant stage hits that point where it's all about me, right? It's my world, my wants, my desires. And if I don't get what I want, I throw tantrums. Here's the amazing thing. That happens in church world. What? Yeah, it's true. Um, As church people, we sometimes... If we're still infants, we want things all about us. You may have been in church like this before. We may be a church like this. Who knows, right? That there's a churches, and any church has these people that grow through these things. They say, it's all about me, and if I don't get what I want, I just take my stuff and I leave, right? We say, instead, what if you grew through that phase and you went to the child phase? And this is the idea of connecting to God, connecting to a small group, and connecting to a bigger purpose. And so we want people to grow through this. We want them to grow through this phase. And if somebody's in this, this other phase of connection, we can, we can pull it out pretty quickly. And there's some identifiers. We won't get into all of them. But we basically know that we need new habits, new truths, and then we need to connect. And then as we continue to grow through our process and our sanctification in Christ, then we move into this idea of training and equipping for ministry, providing ministry opportunities and release to do ministry. This is called the young adult phase, where, where I've grown through those things. I've, I've grown in my maturity. I'm connected to God and connected to purpose, and I start to be able to be trained in ministry and I get to find my place in church and I serve in church and I find those ways. And then at the very end of this process, this idea of being released to be a disciple maker. And that is explaining the disciple process to somebody else. You'd be able to take this wheel and you'd be able to sit with somebody over coffee or over lunch and you'd be able to take a napkin and you'd be able to draw this wheel out and say, okay, where do you think you are spiritually and how do we help you grow through those phases? And then the other thing is you're able to release a disciple another to, um, release to disciple another with your help. In other words, you'll be able to not only you're not only able to disciple, you're able to take somebody and turn them loose to disciple and then ultimately release to disciple alone and then you're back at the share of the gospel again. Now, that looks really clean cut in discipleship. That looks really clean cut is what we're going to talk about in lust today. But ultimately, we realize that that is the perfect scenario. That is not the ideal. What really happens is, and I've talked with many of you and myself included, what I do, what you do, is we bounce around the wheel all the time, don't we? We start in this phase and we're like, I know that, I know that, I know that. And then we refuse to get connected to a small group because I'm too busy. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want people in my life. I'm just going to stay stuck in the infant phase. But then I'm also going to maybe shoot over to the discipleship phase and release somebody else to disciple. We're we're a hot mess, right? We all know that. But in this process, hopefully we're growing towards maturity. Now, why do I say all that? I say all that because I want to use this as an opportunity to talk about lust because here's what I know about you and I know about me. We're all at different journeys when it comes to this particular issue in our life. And you may have tried to fight it in the wrong phase at the wrong time. You may not have been ready for the child phase, or you may be a young adult and you're still trying to fight it in the infant stage. I don't know, but let me offer some things that I think may help. First off, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you have been, seated, have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Part of the wheel, dead, born again, right? So the part of the wheel is I am born again. 
So my first question when it comes to lust is, are you fighting lust the way every other person and book tells you to, or are you fighting lust like a dead man? Because Jesus is telling you, you are spiritually dead, and the only way you have life is in me. So are you dealing this thing as just like, I've just got to get the right app and the right thing and the right thing to, to fix it? Or are you truly fighting this saying, God, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm a dead man walking without you. And so if you don't fix this in me, I have nothing left. So the first thing is just to fight like a dead man. In the first part of the wheel, to realize what Christ has done for us. And then he goes on in verses 5 to 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In other words, he's asking you to put these to death, but he's asking you to do it like fighting like a dead man. He's asking you, in this scenario, truly... Forgive the pun, but he's asking you to fight fire with the Holy Spirit's fire and not your own doing. And that may sound corny, and I get it, but honestly, are we truly trusting the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn away the desires of the flesh? Or are we just trying to put out the flame enough that we just get through the week? The question I have to ask myself all the stinking time is, Joel, when was the last time you needed the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and you weren't just running rogue solo? And I want to say it's all the time, but half the time I have to say, I just go. And I don't submit myself to the Holy Spirit and his work and say, God, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in this scenario? Let me see you work in this scenario. Fighting fire with fire is truly fighting like a dead man. Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Did you catch that? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, not by your working and doing a lot of good things and getting the right apps and the right cheat code, all that kind of stuff, that's not it. By the Spirit, the Spirit's work puts to death these things. So, first off, part of the wheel, dead, born again. Are we truly using the Holy Spirit's role? And that's a whole big discussion to have. Can't get through it all in this morning. But then we go to kind of that first phase, the infant stage of, of the wheel, if you will. And this is the avoidance and turning from. And this is really good. So please hear me. This is good. So don't think as you think through this wheel like, oh, I'm only there. No, 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 no. Don't play that game, Okay. Please hear me on this. Don't play that game. Avoidance is good. It's very good. And sometimes we just need that phase in our life. And so avoidance when it comes to lust is, is that idea of I turn it off. I get an accountability partner. I, 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 have, I have my websites that are all shut down and, and I can't get access to. Avoidance is great. And it's a great first step. But I think some of us, you, you've been there, you've tried that, and it hasn't panned out. The reason is this, avoidance is like a tourniquet. It stops the bleeding and it's helpful. But here's the reality of this. You were never meant to live with a tourniquet on your arm for your whole life. You just weren't. What's going to happen? It's going to atrophy, it's going to die out, you're going to have to lob off your arm. Isn't it funny how Jesus said, cut it off? Tourniquets were not meant for lifelong things. Avoidance is great, but it's not all. 
So, so where do we go from here? It could be avoidance. It could be this, this growing through that phase. But maybe you do that for a while and it's helpful, but maybe you need to grow to the second phase, and that's this idea of transparency. When we talk about transparency, we're talking about the ability to be connecting, connecting to a small group and connecting to God and connecting to a purpose. In other words, you have to live transparently with someone and not just kind of a, when it comes to lust especially, this can't just be a, yeah, I struggle. This has to be open, honest dialogue. This has to be transparent. This is my world to you and your world to me. And, and, and I want you to know here is truly where I'm at so that this thing doesn't take me down. And it only comes through when we connect with God's people and we connect with God in authenticity and transparency. And we say, God, this is my whole life. It's you taking a friend and maybe even your wife and saying, this is uh, my world. This is me. I need you to understand this part of my life. It goes through that phase and maybe it goes into the third phase and this is the one of the young adult and that's the equipping and enjoyment phase. And I don't know if you've gotten to this phase in battling this, but maybe you've tried the first two and you're like, those aren't working. They worked for a little bit, but now they're not working. This may be the next growth point and that's equipping and enjoying, equipping with the Bible for the purpose of delighting in it. Not just for the purpose of doing a Bible reading, not for just the sake of having a devotion, but to actually dive into the text and delight in it. Equipping with deeper knowledge of sin and its roots causes. You equip yourself with more information and you equip yourself with better Bible and memorization of Scripture and you grow through the equipping and enjoyment of God. Because ultimately... Lust, you know, is basically stealing that, that enjoyment factor from you. It's trying to basically say, this is the enjoyment that you need. When ultimately, Scripture is clear, it is God and His delight that we need. Colossians chapter 3, 12 to 16. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Isn't that crazy? Maybe you just need to stop there when you battle this. Let me just stop there for a second. I feel like maybe you need to hear this this morning. Maybe for you in this battle, it's been a long time and you still like, can't get it right and you're just worried God's never, ever going to get you back. Can we just stop for a second in Colossians and say, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let us delight in those words when it comes to battling this. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body, and be, here's the thing, and be thankful to enjoy God, to enjoy the world around you to truly be equipped, but also to enjoy what is there. And again, I get this. This is nothing new, but are we doing it? <laughs> this isn't new, but are we actually doing it? Are we actually getting into the, the Bible and enjoying it? Are we actually having these conversations and seeing beauty outside of just lust and these things of the female body or the male body that we just get drawn to, but are we enjoying the beauty of who God is and being thankful for where he's taken us from? Part of this equipment enjoyment is, is maybe even this struggle is for you to look back and say, I'm not what I was. I'm not there. I'm not perfect, Joel. I'm not 100%, but I am far better than what I was. Don't allow the enemy to tell you how far you have to go. Allow Jesus to look and say, look how far you've come. 
Because the enemy wants to continue to remind you you're never going to get through this. But Jesus looks at you and says, you are my holy and chosen beloved one. Look at how far you've come. Don't go back in this war. Don't keep digging new trenches backwards. You've taken ground. Stand here. Be here. Because I am with you here. And maybe that's the phase you need to grow into. I've tried the accountability. I've tried these things. But I've truly, never truly enjoyed grace and joy in him. Maybe for you, it's the equipment as well and, and the idea of you got to know what your triggers are. For you, maybe your trigger when it comes to lust is when, you're, when, you, when you've had a really big success in your life and things are going well and all of a sudden it starts to move in. It could be for you, boredom is your trigger and you're kind of, whenever things get boring, you're kind of just, life is coasting, that's your trigger. It could be when you're completely stressed and freaked out and stress causes these things to come upon you. But mostly I think what all of us probably get into when it comes to this or any other sin in our life, it's fatigue. When we just get worn out and it's easier just to be like, ah, whatever. I'm just gonna enjoy this for the moment. I'm just gonna allow my brain to go there for the moment because It's been a long week, it's been a long whatever, and fatigue sets in. So it could be equipment and enjoyment. And the last one, let me say this. It could be the idea that maybe you're growing through these things and you have grown through these. And maybe for you, you're on the other side of this. And in Community Bible Church, we need men and ladies as well that have grown through these things as mentors. This last phase is that you're able to explain the discipleship process, release to disciple others, and you're actually helping people grow through this. I believe there are people in this room who have grown through these things and are able then to share with somebody else their struggles and say, man, have you, have you, have you seen the grace of God and the joy that it brings in victory in these things? And having somebody to walk beside you as a mentor rather than somebody who's walking beside you as just a co uh, and equal but somebody who's actually gone through this. This morning, we all know this, but lust will take you down unless you ask more and demand less. The theme for this series. We we know that we need these growth points. And my question this morning is, where are you at in that process? And where do you need to grow to? And two questions I think have to be asked as a result of these things that may be helpful and poignant to continue to keep reminding yourself of how dangerous these can be are these. Who is going to get destroyed in this process? Much like Storm Shadow, who's going to get blown up at the end of the day? What relationship am I just going to destroy because of this? There was a Moody president, uh, Moody Bible Institute president, who had a journal on his desk. It was written about by another author, and he says, I asked him about this journal on his desk, and in this journal, it was this long list of all the things that he would lose if he gave himself over to his sexual appetite at one point or another. And he had listed everything. It was probably two pages of things he would lose. And he says, you know what? I have to keep this as a reminder on my desk daily that this is what's at stake in this battle. Who is going to get destroyed in this process? And last one is, which fire am I going to be fueling? Am I going to be reliant and finding like a dead man in the Holy Spirit to say, I got you and you need to get me through this? I've got nothing without you. Or do we truly start to grow through the process just on our own merit in our own endeavor. Now, all that being said, let me close with this. I get it. Joel, that sounds really good. That sounds really helpful. Um, But the reality is reality. And Joel, you get that this is bigger than just simply one sermon and it's just knocked out, right? Yes, I get that. One sermon is not, could, but I'm, I'm not assuming it's going to break years of what this is in your world. It's just not. However, what I will say 
is maybe this is the start of God giving you some new weapons for your warfare to start applying to this battle that you've never tried before. Because here's what I also know about this sin in particular. Guilt and shame go hand in hand with this one. And the reason why many of us don't go through the transparency phase is because we are too guilty and ashamed of all that we've seen and all that we've done. We don't want to let anybody in because we're too ashamed and guilty. Here's the problem. The enemy loves to keep you in that shame, in that guilt, and loves it because you're useless at that point. You're just doing all these shoulds in your mind, and I I need to do this, or I need to do that, or I could possibly, but no, not really. He is offering you freedom that we talked about at the very beginning of this service. And so what I want to do is I want to close with hope this morning. I want to close with communion this morning. I want you to be able to leave this morning and say, you know what, even if that's my struggle, even if that's my deal, and I struggle with it all the time, I want you to know that in Christ you are chosen, you are holy and beloved, and he cares about you and he wants to change you. And he's asking you this morning as we look at communion to come to the table and say, I just just need you. I will remember the cross and remember your sacrifice on my behalf and take communion in a way that says, God, I want to give you all of this. I'm tired of fighting and I'm tired of being stuck with this. I just want to give it to you. And maybe it's not lust this morning. Maybe this morning for you, it's just a great reminder to recognize and celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. So here's how this is going to go. I'm going to have Rich come up and play behind. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, We're not going to do the traditional passing today because I just want you to take some time where you are just with yourself or family. And I want you just to be praying and getting your heart right before we come to the table and asking God to reveal those things that are maybe keeping you from being free. And I don't know what it is this morning, but I'm assuming we all have them. I have them. Things that keep me free that I have to continually put over into Christ's hands. Can I just say, in preparation for the Sunday even, you know, maybe know this, I've said it before, but when I mow, I, I mow the yard. I always listen to podcasts and sermons and things like that. Just a weird thing. But as I was mowing, this, the song um, on Spotify came in of, of Glorious Day, and it was the idea of freedom. And I, 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 was, I, was, I was thinking it through, and I thought through all the lyrics, and I think of all the things God's freed me from and all the things he still needs to keep me freeing me from even now. <laughs> And I'm mowing in my backyard, headphones on, and all of a sudden I'm just like, <sighs> and they're like, dude, he really loves his yard. I'm like, I do, I do, I just love it. But it just, it just hit me of like the freedom. And it's the shame and the guilt in that song. Says, the shame and the guilt weren't meant to carry the weight. They can't carry the weight. Shame and guilt can't carry the weight of our worship. They just can't. Only God can carry the weight of our sin and shame and put it on his shoulders and take it to the cross and die on our behalf and free us over and over and over and over again until we get to eternity. And so I hope that you think of those things as you come to the table this morning, as you think of all he has freed you from and all you need to free, he still needs to keep freeing you from today. Let me pray for us. And here's what he's going to do is as he leads, we're just going to offer it to you to come as you're ready to take the elements as you're ready. So you can come up here and take the bread and the cup as you're ready. You can take them to your seat. Um, You can take them up here. Whatever you want to do, we're just going to give you time 
and then we're going to close out together in song. So let me pray this morning over the elements and, and over you this morning. God, I thank you that you have died in our place and you have died to set us free. God, as we think about that, it's been a theme this morning. We, we want your freedom. We don't want to be tangled back by these things of lust. We don't want to be driven back to images that we've had in our brains forever. We, we want to be free. And so, Father, we thank you for being a God who loves us, who believes in us, and went to the cross to bear our sin and our shame and our guilt on yourself. You're able to free us from these things. So, Father, I pray that as we approach your communion table today, we truly would approach it in freedom of who you are and how you've set us free. Take a minute right where you're at, spend time with him, and as you're ready, you may come and take communion, and then we'll close out here in a little while. As we look to close out this morning, I want to read a couple quotes from Charles Spurgeon as it comes to this idea of grace that I think are just extremely helpful and we're going to close out and celebrating that together in song. But I love these quotes. This is his first. He says, if Christ could grow weary of me, he would have been tired of me long before now. I love it. If Christ was truly tired of me, it would have happened a long time back in my world. He says, um, as well, that God loves to forgive even more than you love to sin. And even if we don't believe that, it's hard to believe that God truly loves to forgive even more than we love to sin. And as far as God is concerned, your sin has ceased to be. He says, and if Christ rejects you, tell us of it. <laughs> if he refuses you, let us hear it. There has never such been a case when God forgives, he forgives forever. Until God can change or lie, he will never bring to mind again the sin of that man who he has pardoned. And last but not least, you cannot sin as much as God can forgive. If it comes to a battle between sin and grace, you shall not be as bad as God shall be good. So this morning, would you stand with us as we finish out this morning singing out a declaration of God's goodness in the midst of grace? and what he has called us to. And so truly this is a song that has this anthem feel to it of God and who he is. And so I pray that we'd sing out strong and then uh, we'll close out with this this morning.